Welcome and thank you for joining us for today's webinar, Strategic Digitization, Protect Your Workers and Drive Long-Term Success. My name is Charlotte Brodie. I'm the Global Head of Marketing for the Built Environment at BSI, and I'm delighted to introduce Kate Field, our Global Head of Health, Safety and Wellbeing. Moving on, for those who haven't joined us before, Kate, has uh, as BSI's global health, safety and well-being expert, she drives our global strategy for creating a safer and healthier workplace. An ambassador for cultural change that puts well-being, equality, safety and health at the forefront, Kate inspires colleagues and stakeholders globally to make a difference. And with over 20 years industry experience in occupational health, safety and well-being, Kate is a recognised consultant, trainer, lecturer and speaker. And prior, prior to joining BSI, she was Head of Information and Intelligence at the Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, leading on the health and safety research strategy and technical content globally. So welcome, Kate. It's wonderful to have you here with us today. So moving on, I will firstly give you a little bit of information about BSI. Um, Many of you will be familiar with us as the UK's national standards body, and we have a strict governance to our business streams and are incorporated by Royal Charter. Our product portfolio is extensive and we support clients globally through standard shaping, um, whether this is British, international, bespoke or publicly available specifications, and providing technical support and guidance from our knowledge solutions business. We also provide assurance training or certification services to help clients embed and demonstrate best practice through the adoption of standards. And we also provide consultancy. Moving on, our purpose is inspiring trust for a more resilient world. We help to shape and guide innovation through improving and standardizing business processes, products and services to enable advancement. We are independent and free from any outside influence as all profit is reinvested back into BSI to help us to continue to support and drive further change. And together, we face the challenge of ensuring safety and well-being of all involved and protecting our workforces. We are very much here to help by serving our clients and finding new ways of delivering services to support industry, focused on enabling organisations to survive, stabilise, rebuild and be resilient. Moving on, we are dedicated to all who work across the asset life cycle. Whether you play a role in the design, construction, operating or decommissioning of assets, and we focus on four key areas, health, safety and well-being, digital transformation, environmental management and circular economy, and best practice for supply chain management and procurement. So moving on, before I hand over to Kate, um, we thought a good place to start would be to invite you to share with us what your key responsibilities are within your organisation. And do remember, please step out of full screen mode if this helps you to answer the poll, which is anonymous in today's session. So what is your specialism? Is it health, safety and well-being? Um, are you involved with digital technology or are you responsible for setting the strategic direction of your organisation? And whilst we're waiting for the answers to come in, uh, just to confirm again, today's recording will be made available afterwards, together with some useful resources, uh, and you can gain access to previous webinars that we've run together. So thank you for taking part, and I think it's now time to share the results. So if those could be um, shared on the screen. And we can see that the largest percentage of uh, our audience today, 57% uh, are involved in digital technology. 29% um, who've answered have uh, said that health, safety and well-being is your specialism and 14% of you are setting strategic direction. So thank you very much for that, for setting the scene. And uh, let's move on. So, Today's webinar, um, Kate is going to look at the opportunities around digital technology and that balance between 
the application of digital technology and what it means from a health, safety and well-being perspective. And she's also going to explore uh, BIM, that's building information modelling, and everything else, of which there are many technologies that she'll be running through. And then finally, a note on uh, prioritising people and what does that mean around digital uh, transformation, digital technologies. And then we'll go into our Q&A session. So please do um, send your questions in and we'll do our best to answer those at the end. So thank you very much. And I will now hand over to Kate. Thank you, Kate. Lovely. Thank you, Charlotte. And welcome to everybody today. I'm so pleased to see so many of you join this session. Um, and uh, as always, there is plenty to get through. Um, and as Charlotte said, I'm going to sort of explore some of the most common um, technologies that are being used and, and just touch on what that means in terms of health, safety and well-being um, before considering how we link this through to our people-centred approach for our organisations. But I'm going to start by unusually giving a, a disclaimer. Um, I'm a health, safety and well-being expert. I'm not an expert on these technologies. Um, and we've got actually, what was it, 57% of you who are leading on your, on your digital strategy or, or digit, digital technology and 14% doing strategy. Um, so I'm sure that a lot of you will have a greater depth of knowledge um, for a lot of these technologies. But as I've said, this is really to kind of highlight some of the opportunities as well as potentially explore some of the things that we need to consider from a, from a people-centered point of view um, as we explore these technologies. And I think, you know, to, to start with, it's, it's worth reflecting that technology has been saving lives and creating a healthier workplace and workforce for a long time. Um, you know, one of the things that is uh, so exciting for me as a health and safety professional is that as risk professionals, we are often driving innovation to eliminate and, and minimise risk. Um, and as part of doing that, we've often embraced technology and what that can mean. But on, on the other side, I think, you know, safety in particular has long suffered from an absence of real insight um, with most of the data that we collect and use being really focused on reactive and historical information you know so the the classic lost time incidents accident rates fatalities all of those sorts of things whereas data now has the power to fuel smarter decision-making um, and more efficient processes and, of course, safer and healthier working environments. So this is our opportunity to embrace this technology. And one of the things, and I'll touch on this through the session, that is particularly exciting is the fact that we have the opportunity to do predictive and, and real-time monitoring, um, because that gives us a, a great opportunity to either, you know, design out or eliminate risk in the first place, or the opportunity to learn and continually improve, which is at the heart of occupational health and safety. And I think one of the things that we've seen this year is that with COVID-19, you know, the, the use um, of this technology has accelerated. Um, I mean, it, it was accelerating rapidly anyway, but I think this year, you know, we, we've seen a, a, a gear shift again up into the use of this technology. Um, and, you know, that's that's been great. Um, you know, we've seen the technology ensuring that um, monitoring of distance, social distance, distancing and alerting people if they're too close, you know, really positive from a health and safety point of view. But we've also seen maybe technology not be used in, in the right way or, to, or for real benefit. And I think we've seen this in some of the sort of thermal um, imagery um, and thermometers that have been used. So, you know, we've got some exciting opportunities um, and I'm going to start and spend a little bit more time um, looking at building uh, information modeling, BIM. Now, for me, this is a hugely exciting um, uh, new development um, in terms of thinking about the way that we manage occupational health, safety, and well being over uh, asset life cycle. 
again, you know, aspects of this are, are not new. Um, building information modeling is about data management. Um, it just creates a different framework. And we've been doing data management for, uh, for a long time. But I think one of the, the challenges that we have is, you know, that um, particularly, you know, during design, we are still not as effective as we could be in terms of designing risk out either, you know, during the the, the build phase, but also over the uh, um, life cycle of the asset. Um, and, you know, during the construction phase, unfortunately, you know, we still have a very high proportion of people seriously injured or killed in construction. So anything that can drive those improvements, I think, is really exciting. And to reflect that um, within the UK, the UK industrial strategy for um, construction and the UK regulator, the health and safety executive, are putting BIM front and centre um, of the strategy to enhance health and safety um, and deliver compliance with legislation, but also drive that improvement. Um, and that is really exciting. So what are the, the benefits of, of using BIM for health and safety? Well, I think, you know, as I've mentioned, it's it's about data, it's about information. And we know that projects actually produce a huge amount of data and we need a way of managing that data. And, we, and when we think about, you know, health and safety, um, you know, in the UK, there are specific requirements, um, you know, the specific data, specific information that has to be captured. And, and that's the same around the world, to be fair. You know, there are specific things that have to be um, managed. So you have a, a framework that allows that data to be produced, flow and importantly used. And it allows you to integrate really robust risk management um, processes into um, that process and that life cycle. And I think one of the things that I get particularly excited about um, is that the use of digital information and modeling software really enhances the ability to um, anticipate spot um, and foresee hazards and risks before they happen, particularly when, you know, BIM is, is used against 3D and even 4D modeling. You know, you get the opportunity, particularly sort of for 4D modeling, you know, to basically run a whole build from, you know, from the breaking of ground to, to the handover. Um, actually on software, you know, and as, a, as part of that, it means that you can very clearly identify issues and eliminate the risks that come with those. And of course, as part of that, and one of the things that we're seeing as more and more organizations adopt BIM is that it's having a hugely beneficial um, impact on efficiency, productivity, and therefore cost for build, as well as driving and enhancing occupational health and safety. So, you know, it is a really exciting technology. And as part of that, um, and I said, you know, driven from the UK, because this is front and centre of UK strategy for the for the built environment, um, there have been a, a suite of building information modelling standards developed. Um, and actually, the, the most of the first set of those um, have now been updated into full international standards. So it's the 19650 suite. But the last of the suite that was developed in the UK was PAS 1192-6. And that um, standard focuses on using BIM um, to structure your health and safety management within um, within uh, asset. So, you know, it, it ensures that that integration between the project team members and the client is much greater. It has a more significant focus on ensuring that as part of that client relationship and particularly with the designer, there's really informed and meaningful conversations about eliminating risk. And then obviously that's pushed through um, down the, you know, the tier one principal contractors and tier one and, and uh, contractors, et cetera, to ensure that, that you know, that safety is designed out but also then managed throughout the asset life life cycle um and you know 
I think one of the challenges we have with this data is making sure the right people are getting the right information at the right time and um, BIM allows a, a framework to do that. And as I've mentioned, you know, there is some really amazing research coming out that this is driving a step change, um, not only in, um, you know, sort of performance in terms of builds, the efficiency, the time, the cost, but really importantly, health and safety performance. You know, there are fewer incidents um, and associated lower impacts. So, you know, it is a very exciting opportunity um, for organizations to engage. And, you know, if you if you started to use BIM, but you haven't start, you know, looked at part six, then I'd encourage you to do that and start thinking about how you can integrate it now. And you know, it is planned that this will be developed into an ISO to, to join the 19650 suite over the next few years. So this will be available um, for organisations, you know, that is in a globally consistent way. Um, and I'm just going to touch very briefly on this because one of the questions I often get asked is, is how does part six relate to ISO 45001? Because, you know, they are both really around managing health and safety. They're just coming from slightly different um, points of view. You know, BIM is about the management of the, of the data and, and using that to design at risk and, and controls and um, those elements. And 45001 is your generic framework for, for managing occupational health and safety. And what's good is they are really complementary standards. So BIM is a good way for you to meet the requirements under information management and documented information that is um, set out in ISO 45001. And some of the other things it's worth considering, and this is again one of the things I found quite exciting with um, the use of BIM from a health and safety point of view, is used effectively it can be a really powerful tool for um, engaging with your workforce on site um, again particularly when um, sort of 3d and 4d modeling is used and it, and it brings the site to life actually then showing that to workers you know having printouts and 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 talking them through what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and most importantly, asking for their input and their thoughts and um, you know their suggestions for improving health and safety is incredibly powerful. Um, and organisations that have, have used it in that way um, have been genuinely, I think, blown away by the the positive impact that's made. And again, you know, not just in terms of it enhancing health and safety but a lot of these solutions again will drive those efficiencies and improvements so it is you know a really important tool for um, the built environment sector to start to really embed and I think you know the the next phase is we're we're seeing the tentative um, use and 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 sort of building momentum of, of BIM at the design and construction phase. And what we need to really um, embed the opportunity is to see that then be used through the whole life cycle of the organization. And again, you know, from the UK point of view, because this is at the heart of the strategy, and unfortunately, because of the um, Grenfell tragedy, the fire in the tower block, this golden thread of information is really a, at the heart of the new focus. Um, and I think, you know, we'll see that best practice start to cascade out globally over the next few years because it really is um, leading the industry in terms of improvement. So that's building information modelling. Um, and now I'm just going to touch on i've said everything else but that that's actually impossible there's so much out there um i'm going to try and just touch on lightly some of the the key areas and how they're being used and, and what that means in terms of health and safety opportunities so actually it makes sense as we've been talking about bim which is about data we start there and unpick that and how it's used in some other areas and also how that's being linked with um, ai artificial intelligence now we've got a lot of people who um, have uh, digital in their title so they are probably aware um, but maybe for some of the other people on the call and you know this is something a few years ago that I'm not sure I would have answered but we get very we think AI sounds something uh, mysterious and um, 
that we can't grasp and this magical thing. Um, and of course, it's, it's algorithms. Yes, very complex and very clever, but they are algorithms. Um, and I think it's worth just reflecting on, on that and, and demystifying it a bit. So when you use those algorithms to analyze your data or use it to help search your data, you have some really amazing opportunities. So one of the areas that we see this used is, is in forensic investigation. So, you know, after there has been a serious incident or there's an enforcement within an organization, you know, there obviously can be um, a lot of information held in various sorts of data from simple things like emails through to training records, through to continuous monitoring, you know, all sorts of information. Um, and it can be incredibly difficult to sift that information. So actually, with forensic investigation, you can use AI to actually search, search and sift the key information. And of course, this speeds speeds up the opportunity to identify the root cause um, and prevent it from happening again and, and sharing that knowledge, which drives continual improvement, which is at, at the heart of occupational health and safety. Um, and that's something that we have, a, Charlotte mentioned, we have a consultancy. We have a consultancy that specializes in, in all things cyber and technology. Um, and this is something that they do and, you know, it's it's fascinating talking to them and, and listening, listening to, you know, the positive impact that this sort of technology can have. And of course, you know, one of the, the principal ways that AI is, is used um, with data is to do predictive modeling, you know, to identify trends, um, to do predictive risk. Uh, analysis to do predictive incident to potentially identify incidents before they happen um, or to spot trends in those incidents um, and also come up potentially with successful mitigations and there's a lot of work going on in in this area um, so again um, in the UK, uh, the regulator is, is working with organisations to anonymise all the data they have on the reports of incidents that are, are mandatory for organisations to make, um, and then to analyse that data and look and see if there is different trends or risks uh, modeling that can be identified as part of that. And again, you know, we're doing something very similar in BSI, where we have, you know, the, the data that comes from all of our audits, again, anonymizing that, um, and then looking um, and using artificial intelligence to do this predictive, predictive mod modeling. Um, and, you know, the ambition for us is that once we've done that, we can then share that back to you, our clients, to help continuously drive improvements. So it's, a, it's really exciting. Then we have kind of as part of this suite, the Internet thing, of Things, um, so connected devices. And, and this covers such a vast range, um, but it's, you know, we tend to see it used a lot um, for sort of sensors. So we have sensors that are embedded in newly laid concrete to monitor how quickly that um, goes off. Um, which is really exciting because, again, that can enhance safety because if you, if you haven't got people going out to have to go and manually check um, to see, uh, you know, where the concrete set is, um, then, you know, you, that's potentially they're working at height in unfinished buildings, all of those sorts of things. So if you've got sensors that are doing that work, then it's creating improvements in terms of, of health and safety. Then we've got a lot um, being used with um, cameras of, of, and, and different scenarios. So the sorts of things that are, are, are being looked at and used at the moment is um, cameras and machine learning to interpret facial expressions and actions um, to see whether that can predict um, accidents. The site camera cameras are monitoring work and identifying any um, potential hazard or hazard zones um, and alerting the operative um, either through their smartphone or some other wearable device that um, maybe vibrates. There's fatigue monitoring or computer vision systems. Um, again, you know, that look at things like um, eye movement to look and see whether um, there are micro sleeps that's being used and experimented quite a lot for driving safety. Um, and then again, you know, sort of cameras on sites that are um, looking to see whether, you know, PPE is being worn where it needs to be. Um, and then a sort of 
enhancing that is that you know that we have a fully connected um, mesh of uh, sensors and assets that are providing real-time operational data um, and then behind the scenes you know the the AI is hard at work um, you know looking at predictive um, scenarios so it is a absolutely um, huge area um, and I think it's an area that we'll, we will see um, just grow and grow. So I've touched on it already, um, so it made sense to, to follow it up in terms of how this technology is, is being used in terms of smart tech and, and wearables. And as I've mentioned, we're seeing this used a lot in personal protective equipment. Um, and, you know, thing a lot of it is quite often related to communication. So things like smart helmets or ear defenders or even face masks that have inbuilt communication um, and these are really effective where you've got loud or low visual environments or you've got lone workers because you can be continuously in touch with people um, and where actually it might have been difficult to communicate them in normal circumstances or for them to hear that communication you know having this technology embedded into the PPE makes that a lot easier. Then you've got the PPE that's being kind of um, developed to actually enhance safety by using um, protective clothing with inbuilt sensors that um, monitor, identify, you know, gas or chemicals that monitor sound, um, heat, UV, all sorts of things. Um, and again, you know, then alert um, the wearer to potential issues. So really, really powerful, um, and we've seen we're seeing this used quite a lot um, in uh, Asia, particularly um, for um, thermal risk, where actually overheating because of wearing PPE is, is a real issue. Um, so a lot of PPE is embedded with sensors to monitor body temperature and give early alert if there's an issue. And one of the things that we're seeing as this technology is used is this smart PPE, you know, does save time and it improves productivity through this connectivity because you're able to give these live updates and this remote communication. And of course, you know, again, aspects of this have been around for a long time. We've been using GPS as a means of supporting um, health and safety for a huge number of years, you know, GPS locators for lone workers on cars or, you know, on vehicles to help monitor and ensure that if somebody gets into difficulty, it's easy and quick to locate them and, and get them um, uh, additional support. But we're seeing that sort of GPS technology being stepped up and it's being, again, embedded into not um, to clothing to and PPE um, or you know even just sort of identity identity cards um, and then it's being used to ensure that you know it, people are only working in the zones that they may be trained for so where you've got maybe high risk zones or specialist zones that you're ensuring that you know people who don't have the right competency aren't entering those zones or if somebody does mistakenly ident you know enter those zones that they they are alerted and action is taken. So, you know, a huge amount of um, opportunity there. And one of the latest ones I saw, I haven't looked to see, you know, how robust this is, but, you know, um, shoes with smart sensors that um, recognize a, a change in, in surface um, under them um, to help manage and prevent slips and tris, trips risks. So, you know, this technology is being used for not just you know the, the the high risk activities but also actually those activities that maybe don't cause really serious harm but are very frequent um, uh, accidents that happen on sites and, and really have an, a negative impact in terms of productivity like slips and trips. Then we have robotics drones and autonomous vehicles again this is a huge area um, 
I mean, we again, robotics has been used for for a long time um, to enhance health and safety, particularly in manufacturing. But it is starting to be used much more um, in construction during build phases, particularly for large or heavy items. You know. Um, uh, glazing into high rise and those sorts of things. I've seen some really creative use of, of that sort of robot, robotic technology. And of course, that ensures that you're taking the worker out of the highest risk situation. So, you know, a lot of this robot, robotic technology means that workers don't have to enter confined spaces or they're not working at height. You know, so some of the really serious incidents um, are being eliminated or certainly at least mitigated for, for an awful lot of workers through the use of this technology. Then we have things like um, exoskeletons, which kind of combine uh, the, ro the robotic technology with personal protective equipment. Ex exoskeletons are personal protective equipment because they are um, uh, helping uh, the individual stay safe. They are not eliminating the risk from manual handling. Um, but, you know, as those of you who are health and safety professionals know, we should always be looking to eliminate these risks. Um, and PPE should be at the bottom of, of our list of controls that we use. But in some circumstances, you know, they're, they're because of the nature of the site, the size, the access, whatever it happens to be, you know, you can't necessarily eliminate all forms of um, manual handling. So this sort of exoskeleton technology is something that might be beneficial. And, and again, they've been, you know, they're using this particularly in in the military, um, but we're seeing it being used more and more um, across all sectors, including construction. Drones are again um, are starting to be more used more creatively, um, particularly for inspections of hazardous areas or remote locations, um, or very large um, sites. So large infrastructure sites, it can be much easier to you know send a drone along and then have that connected back into a system that is using AI to identify issues than getting somebody out on the ground. It can be quicker, it can be easier, it can be more efficient. Um, and this is something that um, BSI use actually, and we use it in an application in Asia. Um, and, you know, where you've got very, very large sites, you know, it's, it's, it's basically almost physically impossible for somebody to get around all of those sites, but a drone can do it very effectively. Then we have our remote operated vehicles um, and autonomous vehicles. And I think particularly this sort of technology uh, offers a real opportunity to engage a new, younger and more diverse workforce into the sector. Um, you know, in, in nearly all parts of the world, um, particularly the construction um, sector, is facing some challenges because it is a, an aging population and it's really struggling to recruit new talent into the sector. But the use of this technology gives an opportunity to engage um, with a, a new workforce. You know, the, the difference between being able to um, work, uh, you know, a digger, um, uh, and but do it from the comfort of a, a warm, office as opposed to being out on a, on a cold and wet and muddy site you know is really um, huge in, in terms of making the sector attractive but of course and what we're talking about it also drives improvements in terms of occupational health and safety and as part of that you know there is more work going on looking at autonomous vehicles <clears throat> so where they are actually um, working um, completely autonomously and you know particularly remote operated and autonomous vehicles again have been around for a while um, the mining industry in, industry in particular has been using that but we are definitely starting to see it move into um, construction so then we have um, virtual reality augment, augmented reality and gamification again huge topic area and I think the some of the principal ways that we see this particularly virtual reality and gamification being used is in training, um, interactive training, particularly on occupational health and safety. 
by creating a, uh, a virtual environment where an individual can walk around um, a, a site um, and identify the hazards is a much more um, interactive learning experience for that individual. But this is still new technology. Um, you know, there are some challenges with it. Um, some of it can be uh, very effective. Um, I tried a system that was connected to sensors um, and did a, a work at height scenario where scaffolding collapsed uh, underneath me. Um, and it was amazingly real, actually. Um, so really starting to sort of cement what some of those risks are. But of course, not everybody can use this technology. Um, you know, um, people might have underlying medical conditions, certain eye conditions, you know, there are a range of things that means it's, it's not necessarily accessible to all. The other thing that's starting to come out as more as more of this sort of um, training is used, there is research going on to see what the level of impact is. And some of the data suggests that actually with re virtual reality um, and gamification, it, it doesn't necessarily have um, as big an impact as you might consider it to have. Um, so, you know, th there's, there's experiments going on to combine virtual reality with um, sensors in um, either um, headwear or gloves that um, mimic heat or the smell of fire if it's a fire-based training drill. Um, and that presents some, you know, some really interesting opportunities. So, you know, it's important to, to look at what's going on. Augmented reality is used in all sorts of, of ways. Again, you know, sometimes that's training, but actually one of the ways this is being used is with smart glasses, which we'll, we'll come on to shortly, um, and where somebody can look at, you know, a, a build or a piece of machinery and get information about that build or that piece of machinery um, up displayed in the glasses, you know, a pro if they're doing a repair, you know, what's the process to follow? How do you do that? What are the key risks? You know, there's some really exciting opportunities for this. And again, this type of um, technology and things like gamification, again, gives this opportunity to engage a, a new and more diverse workforce um, and particularly engage a young workforce, which is, you know, an important opportunity for the built environment sector. So then we have kind of what's going on in terms of innovative construction methods itself. Um, you know, we have 3D printing that is uh, growing at a, a rate, of, rate of knots. Um, this building that you can see in this picture um, is allegedly the first 3D printed building in Europe, um, in Denmark. Um, you know, so we're, we're seeing whole buildings as well as components um, being 3D printed. And again, I think that will only increase. Um, and, and again, you know, if we just look at something simple like this construction, um, something that is 3D printed and doesn't involve a, an individual laying brickwork um, is clearly going to bring health and safety benefits. You know, the, the manual handling that goes with brickwork, you know, if it's a, a two, three or four storey building, etc. you know, the higher up you go, the more you introduce risk in terms of work from height or objects falling. You know, there's a whole series um, of risks that this sort of technology can help manage. Then, you know, relatedly, we're seeing that, you know, as part of that, I suppose, 3D printing um, change, you know, a, a greater increase of off-site manufacturing and, and modular builds. Um, and again, that's not a, a, a new idea. You know, <laughs> people shudder when you, we use the word, but prefabs were around for a long time. You know, they have a quite a negative connotation and we need to move, um, you know, the, the public and the industry past that not ne negative connotation. But, you know, it's, it's a huge opportunity. Um, it's not only faster, so some studies suggest it's, if we look at something like um, building houses, 50% faster than traditional building methods. Um, but of course, you know, it really enhances, enhances safety where you are, if you like, manufacturing a building in a controlled factory environment, it's much easier to manage the risk. And of course, then when you get to site, you need less people 
um, because it's only a question of putting the modules together. It means you've got less deliveries because you haven't got all of those individual elements, you know, the timber, the, the cement, the brickwork, et cetera, et cetera, you know, coming onto site. You know, that reduces slight traffic. Um, and again, all of that um, enhances safety um, within the construction site. And, you know, again, this is an opportunity to um, create a, a more diverse workforce. Um, you know, we I've touched on we've got an aging popu population. Um, and if the work is much more in terms of sort of a, an engineering based solution of of putting this uh, these modular builds together, that is potentially more attractive um, than maybe being on site and um, and dare I say it being a brickie, you know, nothing against brickies. They do an amazing job. And if you've ever seen them work, it's incredible. But again, we've got this issue that, you know, there's there's stereotypes and a view of the nature of particularly of on-site construction that is negative um, and that stops people um, entering the the sector so anything that we can do to overcome that I think is beneficial and then we've got things like block blockchain and nanotechnology um, again being used in just a huge range of applications um, so nanotechnology we're seeing it um, in things like glassware, um, intelligent glassware um, that is self-cleaning or reacts to heat, all of those sorts of things. I mean, it's it's just vast. Um, blockchain, um, really interesting applications for that. So that blockchain can be really beneficial to um, trace the governance um, through a supply chain of, of components and, and manage potential issues with fakes or forgeries and therefore um, quality, which then has a knock on impact, of course, in terms of, of safety. Um, and we're seeing that used in, in something um, as, as what we might think of as simple for as, as, as concrete, um, because actually um, being able to trace the, the individual elements that make up concrete you know the the sand etc actually can have a huge impact in the the final quality of the concrete so being able to trace that is hugely important so then of course again i said you know a lot of this technology is not new um you know with smartphones are are new but you know computers aren't we now um you know they've been around a long time um and i think you know particularly the use of this technology to for organizations to continue to deliver assurance and safety you know we've really seen a, a, you know again this step change this year um you know this is a really good example from us from BSI. You know, we were using immersive technology for auditing anyway. Um, you know, but it was it was, you know, for specific sites, for specific clients. Um, but we've gone fully global to all of our clients this year. Um, you know, and actually it's proving a phenomenal success um, and working very effectively. You know, and it's it's relatively, you know, from the relatively simple aspect of just sort of teams and Zoom calls where we can do document reviews and and interviews through to live streaming where we're using, um, you know, video to live stream a walk around a site to look at specific issues. We are using smart glasses where we have this fully immersed audit experience using hands free technology, you know, either. And I mentioned, I think I touched on that one of the, the opportunities we have with some of this technology is to access expertise that might not actually be physically on site. And, and that's one of the ways that we're using um, hands-free technology is that, you know, it, it might be a, an individual from the site who's walking around wearing the smart glasses, but the, um, the information that is being streamed from those smart glasses is then going to an expert, you know, maybe not even lo located in the same country. Um, and there's a fully interactive experience between what's going on there. Um, and, you know, also aerial analytics and um, satellite technology and, and drones um, so you know an absolutely vast range and of course within that space we've been using software and apps of various different types for, for a long time but I think again what we're seeing is that step change and that recognition that this technology um, actually what is at the heart of it is of course data 
and I think a lot of organisations are realising that they have this um, amazing uh, potential source of data that they can use you know AI with to do some of those exciting things that I've talked about before in terms of you know predictive risk um, trend analysis all of those sorts of things and that will only grow um, and become a, a much greater component with the use of this sort of technology so that gives us an opportunity to ask you what you think and I'll hand back to Charlotte for our second poll Thank you, Kate. So, uh, yes, Kate has uh, gone through a number of, I mean, there's so many different technologies which are out there and in operation. Um, and we would love to know from your perspective, which do you think has the biggest opportunity to enhance health, safety and well-being? So five kind of groupings of, of technologies there um, for you to choose from. Do step out of full screen mode if that helps you to uh, make your selection. So is it data and AI, uh, smart tech and wearables, robotics, drones and autonomous vehicles, VR, AR and gamification or innovative construction? Um, and whilst we're waiting for you to share your thoughts on those options, just to say that we do have a couple of uh, downloads which are available for you today. Um, one of these is uh, looks at ISO 45001 for occupational health and safety and why it's the perfect partner to quality environmental and information security management systems. And the other is a report on digital transformation um, with insights from uh, BSI clients and industry experts, which might be of interest to you or your colleagues it's been designed specifically for those working in construction. So I will now ask for the uh, results to be shared. Looking forward to seeing what people think and what is our top answer, which looks to be data and AI at 36%, um, followed by VR, AR and gamification and smart tech and wearables, which are sort of joint second at 27%. Um, innovative construction, so that sort of 3D printing um, and uh, other technologies is at 9% and uh, nobody has opted for robotics, drones and autonomous vehicles. So um, an interesting spread there. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Uh, and I will now ask for us to move on um, and continue. So over to you, Kate. Lovely. Thank you, Charlotte. And really interesting to hear what our listeners think in, in terms of where uh, we have the biggest opportunities. And yeah, I'm not surprised that sort of data and AI, um, I think, offers some of our biggest opportunities. Um, and yeah, wearables, I think, I think it will be interesting to see how wearables develop. Um, I think it's very much front and centre. It's something that we can literally see and engage with. Um, but I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions about the, the efficacy and, and the potential for enhancing health and safety with the use of that technology. So just sort of starting to think about what this technology means um, and consider it you know we can't have a session like this without considering you know what the risks of this technology are and of course the most obvious one is, is around you know cyber security um, both external threats internal threats and, and of course just system and, and business failures that come with having you know all of these systems and uh, as organizations become more reliant on this system and this technology you know if it's uh, if it breaks um, you know if it becomes disabled um, then actually that can have um, hugely negative impacts on the organization so you know there are key areas there's the obvious things in terms of you know sort of external threats you know hacking cyber um, uh, spying, business espionage, um, but we're, we're seeing that, you know, some of the more negative impacts of these external threats, you know, they are hacking safety systems and overriding safety systems. They are hacking um, <clears throat> the data and particularly things like personal data. So where we've got, you know, this smart PPE that is potentially monitoring um, individual health metrics, then actually that is um, private and confidential data, but of course it can be hacked. So this 
introducing some real issues and it's not just the the risks from this information getting into maybe the wrong hands but there are really serious ethical questions about whether we should be collecting this data on individuals and you know some of the things that I've seen is you know there's some some smart technology PPE that monitors heart rate well actually that can potentially identify a um, a heart issue you know so where's the responsibility for making sure that the individual um, has that looked at you know what's the balance you know there are some really important questions that are, aren't being asked and certainly you know answers aren't being given so we need to consider that there's other things like cyberbullying. So as we use this technology more um, and it becomes integrated into our life, there are psychosocial risks that we need to consider. Cyberbullying being a really good example. Always on, you know, always connected is a real issue in terms of work-life balance. There are some significant um, challenges. And of course, you know, there's some some basics is actually there are some types of high risk site where this technology simply can't be used, you know, particularly where there are things like explosive atmospheres, you know, this technology cannot be used in, in those environments. And likewise, some of it, you know, um, where you've got um, R&D activities going on, propriety information, you know, those sites are not going to want you walking around video recording it. So, you know, there are some challenges that need to be considered. And as part of that, we need to ensure that people are front and centre, that we are prioritising our people when we are thinking about this. And, you know, one of the, the key things to consider is when you're exploring these technologies, you know, look for technologies that solve the business problem, because this is often the driver, unfortunately. Um, you know, everybody gets terribly excited about technology um, and, you know, and, and you know, you, you get you know, on what we're talking about today, you know, uh, digital strategies um, and they forget the human in it. Um, so it is important that when you're looking at technology, you're looking for technology that, yes, solves those business problems, but also enhances the health and safety and well-being of individuals. And as part of that, and I touched on this with BIM, is it's really important to have really effective engagement with the workforce as you as you um, engage and start to use or think about using this technology. You know, not not everybody will be happy with the technology. Not everybody want, will want to be monitored all the time. Um, so you need to have very clear and open in communication with your workforce and you know, that will only empower them and help them engage with this technology when they see what the benefit benefits are if, if their concerns are addressed. And importantly, you know, we need to train our workers to use this technology. I think sometimes we forget that, you know, not everybody will be uh, happy using this technology, will have accessed it before. And again, coming back to those psychosocial risks, if people feel that they don't have the right skills to use this training, actually that can have a really negative, I'm sorry, to use this technology can have a really negative impact on their mental health. And you know, as part of that, you've got to think about the demographics of your workforce. Again, you know, this sort of technology may uh, be easier for a younger workforce to engage with, but an older workforce may have additional challenges. And, you know, as part of this, you know, the, the, the key point is to consider what are the health and safety risks that this new technology may be introducing? You know, yes, it's great and it can, you know, it is and it will continue to drive really exciting improvements in terms of occupational health, safety and well-being. But it does also create risks. So what are those risks and how do we manage it? And where this technology is newer, so things like nanotechnology, you know, we take a precautionary principle where, you know, we are maybe a little more risk adverse and make sure that we are genuine, you know, truly um, protecting the worker while we understand what the risks are before we expose large numbers of people to that risk. So, you know, it is important 
um, to consider these things. But as we do this and as we consider the technology, we don't forget the basics. You know, the, the basics of health and safety are still there. You know, unfortunately, people are still slipping over regularly on sites. They are still falling from heights. They are still getting trapped and dying in confined spaces. And although the tech, some technology might help with that, we can't lose sight of the fact that it's still uh, inherent risk in a lot of um, construction sites in the built environment. We need to continue to manage it. So as my final thought then, um, as we look at this technology, you know, we are definitely seeing that organisations have this fear of missing out, FOMO, um, that somehow that, you know, it's, it's, there's a race to the top for this technology. And actually, we need to be working concerned that it might be a race to the bottom if we're not really considering um, the the potential risks and the implication for workers of this technology. And to finish, I'm going to misquote um, Dr. Ian Malcolm from the Jurassic Park film and just leave you with this thought. We're so preoccupied whether or not we can use this technology. We're not stopping to think whether we should. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Uh, some really great observations there, uh, particularly the around the risks as well as the opportunities. So fully rounded things to consider there. Um, so now moving on to our uh, New World of Construction report, which is something that Kate and I worked on earlier on this year. And uh, strategic digitalization or digitization is one of the topics that we have explored and there are a number of others. So um, when you receive uh, the recording from today's webinar, there will be a link for you to download this report. And part of it is a, um, a culture quiz, which enables you as an organisation um, or others in your organisation to put your own health, safety and wellbeing strategy to the test. Um, there are about 12 questions, I believe, with a number of um, multiple choice uh, options for you to choose from. And out of the back of that, you will then be able to see um, um, where you are accelerating, um, perhaps where there's more work that needs to be done and where you are absolutely excelling. So do have a look out for that. Um, we're really interested to see how people um, find that and, and use it within their organisation. So moving on, um, something else I would like to mention to you, our audience, is uh, a very brand new BSI Kite Mark, which was um, launched only last week for innovation management. And it feels appropriate that we um, reference this as we are exploring these um, some of the some of the very new technologies which are coming down the line. And essentially, this is designed um, against an international standard for innovation management, which is ISO 56002. And it essentially looks at uh, a framework, as you would expect, for your innovation management system. And people are using this for different drivers. Um, some are using it for a, a market access perspective to gain a, a commercial um, advantage. Others are really looking at how they can scale up innovation in their organization. And there's no reason why this couldn't be looked at from a health and safety and well-being perspective um, to make some of these good practices or best practices be repeatable. Um, so lots of uh, really interesting reasons as to why people are going for this. And uh, we thought we would just mention it today um, in case that is of interest to you and you want to register your interest for that. Okay, so let's move on. Um, and what I'm now going to do is ask for our final poll to be launched, which is essentially one that we always ask, very keen to help our audience, um, wherever you are on your health, safety and well-being journey, we can help support you with standards and subscriptions. Um, if you're looking at training um, either employees within your organisation or perhaps um, more widely across the supply chain, that's something we can help you with. Certification, of course, independent um, third party uh, validation of your health, safety and well-being practices or others. Um, consultancy, as, as I've mentioned, we can offer in some instances. And then, of course, the new world of construction report. If you would like a copy of that and you haven't already got one, then do select that box. So I'm now going to uh, 
um, see what sort of questions that we've had in. And actually, um, there was one I wanted to ask you, Kate, uh, as you are obviously a health, safety and wellbeing expert. And I wondered whether for people who perhaps are in the digital space, of which we've had a fair number of people in our audience today, if you could go over a little bit more the precautionary principle, perhaps for those people who may not be quite so familiar with it, mm. would that be all right? Yes, yes, of course. So, I think the 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 uh, the clue is in in the name. So, one of the the ways that when you know, as I've said, you know, in in the world of health and safety, we are actually really innovative um, risk management specialists. You know, we come up with amazing solutions to help businesses innovate um, and drive improvements. And one of the ways that we do that is by adopting the precautionary principle. You know, there's often a misunderstanding that, you know, the health and safety profession um, stops things from happening, but that couldn't be further from the, from the truth. What we are experts at doing is identifying what the potential risks are and coming up with really innovative solutions. Now, where we have new technologies, um, so nanotechnologies are a really, really good example of this, actually, um, and, and some of the advances that are going on in, in sort of using uh, AI and, and nanotechnology in medicine as well, uh, as well as sort of construction, is that we use prior knowledge. So we understand, you know, that really small things when they get into human bodies can cause, you know, really serious illnesses, um, you know, um, and long term impacts and even death. So, you know, we use our knowledge from what we've learned about things like asbestos, where basically very small fibres get into the lungs, they get stuck there, um, and that can cause very serious illness and, and cancer and, and resulting death. We use that knowledge and apply, apply those principles to new risks as they emerge and nanotechnology is a perfect example of that you know this this nanotechnology as the name suggests is tiny stuff tiny stuff can get into the body in all sorts of ways it might get stuck there we don't know how the body might react we don't know whether the body can expel it you know there might be different types of you know that again there are different types of nanotechnology so depending what chemicals are used to to um, make them depending how long they're they're used all sorts of questions but we can use what we already know to um, make informed decisions about the best way to manage risk so with nanotechnology you know what we are looking to um, ensure doesn't happen is things like people breathe in the nanotechnology in an uncontrolled way because we're just not clear what the long-term impact of that is and that is the precautionary principle you know we take the knowledge that we have and we apply it to this new technology in a, a formed and risk-based way that means that we can continue to explore the opportunities of that new technology whilst minimizing the risk to people Thank you. Very, very clear explanation. Thank you very much for that. And uh, one other question, which is around, um, well, it's increased mental strain, really. Um, where, any thoughts on, on the, um, I mean, you did touch on it a little bit earlier, but uh, just that always on 24-7, um, you know, culture, I suppose, that we are headed towards. Um, what would... Uh, what would your um, comments be on on that, on things for people to look out for or to to manage? So yeah, you know, with as as we embrace this technology, there are some really important what we call psychosocial risks um, that we need to consider. Um, so actually, one of the biggest is is change. Um, you know, this technology is a change. It can change the way we work. Um, and, you know, by and large, humans aren't very keen on change. Um, and we know that one of the main causes of occupational stress is change. So as organisations look at and think about this technology, and, and again, that goes, you know, it's not just the, the whizzy, exciting stuff, um, you know, the drones and the autonomous vehicles, but even new software systems, you know, that, that is change. Um, and people generally don't do very well with change. So you need to have very robust change management processes. So you need to consider that. 
And then, yes, on, on the other side, you know, we've got issues where um, people, if they feel like they're being spied on, which is, you know, one of the issues with this technology. Um, and, you know, we've seen that as things like GPS in, in vehicles is, is rolled out. People feel very nervous about how that data is going to be used um, and the implications that might have for their individuals and their jobs. And that causes stress. Um, and again, you know, that, that can have long-term implications. And then, yes, you know, for, for other technology, we've got the issue in terms of work-life balance. I think that's something that, you know, maybe, you know, well, not maybe considerably more people have had to experience this year. You know, people who maybe never worked at home are now working at home for the first time. And, you know, that ability to be able to turn off the phone and turn off the laptop at the end of the day and disconnect is a, is a real challenge. Um, and, and again, this comes back to the point that I made in a, in the fact that we need to ensure that we engage workers um, with this technology and what it means and listen to their concerns and train them in terms of how to, to deal with this. And, you know, people can be trained and be given tips and tools to help them do things like disconnect, um, particularly where they're, you know, their home base. So, you know, we, we can't leave people to figure this out for themselves. You know, we've got to help and support them and continue to listen to their concerns. Absolutely. That's a brilliant answer. Thank you. And uh, lots of things lots of things to think about such an interesting topic um, the risks and the opportunities so moving on um, we are almost at the end of today's session and uh, just to let people know that we do have uh, some other webinars that we took part in earlier on this year which are available as uh, both on-demand webinars and podcasts so again uh, when you receive the email from today's recording do look out for those because it's all part of this whole series and uh, equally important topics as well so that really does bring us to the end of today's session and thank you Kate for your for your insight um, your thoughts on on such a fascinating topic. Um, I'm hoping we can explore this in more detail in 2021. Um, there's so much to learn there. And uh, thank you, of course, to our audience for taking part in our polls for your time today. Um, and we hope you will join us again very shortly. Thank you very much. Bye bye.